0: There are major scandals out there that you probably haven't heard about that Republicans are really going to need to address and try to do something about if they take back Congress. Find out all about it on this special edition of the Doc Washburn Show. Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We are the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode 277 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show for Tuesday, November 8th, 2022. Just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman, and I will never forget about the January 6th political prisoners most Republican politicians refuse to even mention. And August 8th, 2022, the day the Biden regime's secret police conducted an unprecedented and unconstitutional raid on the home of a former president of the United States is a day that shall live in infamy. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We are unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you would like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. Also, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Okay, one of the things that Republicans, if they take back control of the House and or the Senate, are going to need to investigate and make criminal referrals on, of course, is this whole business of January 6th. Why are two of the main instigators, Ray Epps and the guy with the glasses that was on top of the scaffolding with the uh, loudspeaker urging people to get into the building, why have they not been indicted? You know, that kind of stuff. Why were Capitol Hill police shooting flashbang canisters at peaceful protesters, that kind of stuff? Why did Lieutenant Michael Bird shoot an unarmed woman with no warning at almost point-blank range, that kind of stuff? If you've listened to Doc Washburn show for any length of time at all, it's not surprising that I'm bringing up this sort of thing. But there are other scandals out there that you probably haven't heard about. And a big one is from an unlikely place called The Intercept. Now, The Intercept is not a conservative news website. Actually, it leans kind of left. So I was shocked that they went after Homeland Security's plans to police what they call disinformation under the Biden regime. I mean, I was I was flabbergasted. But their reporters, Ken Klippenstein and Lee Fong, have both done a remarkable job, and I need to share this with you. And, and, and as a matter of fact, Lee Fong over on Twitter talking about it and talking about how unlikely it is that a left leaning journal would come out with something like this. On Twitter, he had a quote from um, an op-ed over the New York Times entitled, How the Right Became the Left and the Left Became the Right. And the quote said, For progressives, that could mean acknowledging that the Department of Homeland Security's disinformation wars, its attempted hand-in-glove with the great powers of Silicon Valley, would have been regarded as a dystopian scenario on their side not so long ago. And then Li Fong said, it's incredible how many liberals and leftists abandon principles around free speech and free expression the moment these ideas are associated with conservatives. But it's a reminder that most human beings are tribal and conformist rather than principled. Now, that just set me back. I mean, again, for a guy who kind of leans left to come up with that and be criticizing his own side, uh, but it's true. And it's not just a problem on the left. I see, on a regular basis, memes out there on social media, whether it be Twitter or Facebook, and there's a quote from somebody who said something, and it's something, of course, we agree with, something that we as conservatives want to believe, and 99% of the people who see it are like, wow, I didn't know he said that. Man, he nailed it. I didn't know about that. He knocked it out of the park. That's fantastic. And I'm sitting here going, okay, wait, wait. Did he really say that? Did that really happen? Because the person who put it out there on Twitter or Facebook doesn't provide any evidence, any proof, that that is an actual quote from that person. But 99% of the people who agree and i tend to follow conservatives not liberals 99% of the people who agree with the statement accept it without thinking twice without saying um do you have anything to back that up you know do you have a link showing evidence that this actually happened or this guy actually said this no nobody hardly anybody ever Brings that up. Why? It's called confirmation bias. Which is kind of a corollary to what this reporter for the Intercept, Lee Fong, says about his fellow leftists. It's a reminder that most human beings are tribal and conformist rather than principled. Now, in his case, he's talking about how shocked he was about how many liberals and leftists abandon principles around free speech and free expression the moment those ideas are associated with conservatives. Over on the right end of the spectrum, I'm just talking about the fact that, and liberals do this too, with quotes that they agree with. If somebody sees a quote somebody said, Like the other day, somebody had a quote from Clint Eastwood talking about how Obama was the biggest hoax ever perpetrated on this country. And I'm like, okay. Did Clint Eastwood actually say that? Because for somebody to put that out there, for instance, 21 weeks, pardon me, 21 months into the Biden regime and not having – the presence of mind to realize that Joe Biden is a bigger hoax than anything Barack Obama ever even thought of. I mean, when you think about it, you know, come on, man, give me a break. Seriously. You, you're you still saying Obama is the biggest hoax ever in the history of this country. When Joe Biden is out there. Seriously. Seriously. I mean, <laughs> that's just nuts. So, you know, Clint Eastwood probably didn't ever say it. But the guy that tweeted it out, quoting Clint Eastwood, President is the greatest hoax ever perpetrated on the American people. And one of the responses said, wow, he said that? I didn't think that there were more than five or six actors in Hollywood that didn't side with the left. Now I can enjoy watching his movie." Okay, well, number one, this guy doesn't realize that Clint Eastwood was at a Republican National Convention a few years ago. Had no idea that Clint Eastwood was a Republican mayor of a town called Carmel in California a few years ago. Had no idea that Clint Eastwood was actually any kind of a conservative Republican. But was willing to just accept that Clint Eastwood actually said this. Oh, okay, because... Somebody else put it on Twitter. And my response was, probably not if he had actually said it. The guy who put together the quote with a picture, Clint Eastwood, could have provided proof. A lot of folks make these things up to see what we'll fall for. By the way, this far into the Biden regime, we're seeing a much bigger hoax than Obama ever dreamed of if this guy doesn't realize that maybe he's a lib himself. But anyway, anyway, I I'm getting off I'm getting off the topic. I'm getting off the subject. Let me just go ahead and share this article with you from Ken Clippenstein and Lee Fong that came out the other day over at the It is entitled Truth Cops. Leaked documents outline DHS's plans to police Disinformation. You know, this is something that should concern everybody, regardless of whether they're on the left or the right. It concerns me. Thank God it concerns these guys over on the left. Every once in a blue moon. Just like my last um, interview that I did with a couple of liberals who wrote a book about how social media makes it hard for people accused of a crime to get a fair trial if they're well-known, if they've been out on social media. And and they actually said, hey, by the way, Kyle Rittenhouse, the evidence showed that he was not guilty. I'm like, oh, a couple of of liberals even realized. Oh, Okay. And we, you know, we, we had a polite, polite conversation, polite interview for a half hour. You know, it is possible. And that was um, the episode right before this one. Anyway, let's get into this article from Ken Klippenstein and Lee Fong, Truth Cops Leaked Documents outlined DHS's Plans to Police Disinformation Over The Intercept.com. And here's what they said. The Department of Homeland Security is quietly broadening its efforts to curb speech it considers dangerous according to an investigation by The Intercept. Years of internal DHS memos, emails, and documents obtained via leaks and an ongoing lawsuit, as well as public documents illustrate an expansive effort by the agency to influence tech platforms. The work, much of which remains unknown to the American public, see, I told you you didn't know about this, came into clearer view earlier this year when DHS announced a new Disinformation Governance Board, a panel designed to police misinformation, which is false information spread unintentionally, Disinformation, which is false information spread intentionally, and malinformation, which is factual information shared typically out of context with harmful intent, all of which DHS say allegedly threatens U.S. interests. Now, while this disinformation governance board was widely ridiculed, immediately scaled back, and then shut down within a few months, Other initiatives are underway as DHS pivots to monitoring social media now that its original mandate, the war on terror, has been wound down. Behind closed doors and through pressure on private platforms, the U.S. government has used its power to try to shape online discourse. According to Meeting Minutes, and other records appended to a lawsuit filed by Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt, a Republican who is also running for Senate. Oh, and congratulations, Eric Schmidt, who won Tuesday night. But I digress. Discussions have ranged from the scale and scope of government intervention in online discourse to the mechanics of streamlining takedown requests for what they call false or intentionally misleading information. Microsoft executive Matt Masterson, a former DHS official, texted Jen Easterly, DHS director, in February of this year, saying, platforms have got to get comfortable with government. It's really interesting how hesitant they remain. In a meeting the next month, March 2022, Laura Dimlow, an FBI official warned that the threat of subversive information on social media could undermine support for the U.S. government. Ms. Dimlo, according to notes of the discussion, attended by senior executives from Twitter and JP Morgan Chase, stressed that quote, we need a media infrastructure that is held accountable, unquote. a spokesperson for Twitter wrote in a statement to The Intercept, we do not coordinate with other entities when making content moderation decisions and we independently evaluate content in line with the Twitter rules. Now, there is also a formalized process for government officials to directly flag content on Facebook or Instagram and request that it be throttled or suppressed through a special Facebook portal that requires a government or law enforcement email to use. At the time of the writing of this article, the content request system at facebook.com slash x takedowns slash login is still alive. DHS and Meta, the parent company of Facebook, did not respond to a request for comment. The FBI declined to comment. Well, let me let me just check this out. I'm going to copy that URL. Okay? And just come over here and start a new tab and paste it in and uh, see if we see if we get anything. Facebook content requests. Request secure access to the Facebook content requests system. This portal is for onboarded partner requests pertaining to content issues on Facebook and Instagram. If you are an onboarded partner, please put in your request through this portal. So, yes, it is still live. I'm looking at it. Facebook colluding with the government to shut you up. Now, it's one thing to say, that your first amendment right to free speech doesn't apply to social media because Facebook is a private company and Instagram is owned by that private company and Google's a private company and YouTube's owned by that company and Twitter's a private company and now Elon owns it. But if the government is leaning on them to Clamp down on your freedom of speech, then it is a First Amendment issue. I mean, you see the dis- distinction I'm making there. That makes it a First Amendment issue. Okay, back to the article from the Intercept.com. This is fascinating stuff. I'm not used to. Again, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse here, but I'm not used to going to a journal that leans left, and see that they have an expose on an issue. That should really concern people, whether they're conservative or liberal or somewhere in between. So this is this is kind of neat that they have dug into this, and they're sharing this. I'm um, I was shocked when I came across it. Anyway, let's continue. Okay, DHS's mission to fight disinformation stemming from concerns around Russian influence in the 2016 presidential election began taking shape during the 2020 election and over efforts to shape discussions around vaccine policy during the coronavirus pandemic. Now it'll be interesting to see if they acknowledge that the only Russian influence in the 2016 presidential election was to try to keep Trump out of the White House. But anyway, you, you see where we're going with this. They're, they're saying what Homeland Security is started with as their excuse to get into all this. Documents collected by The Intercept from a variety of sources, including current officials and publicly available reports, reveal the evolution of more active measures by DHS. According to a draft copy of DHS's Quadrennial Homeland Security Review, their capstone report outlining the Department's strategy and priorities In the coming years, the department plans to target what they call inaccurate information on a wide range of topics, including, quote, the origins of the COVID-19 pandemic and the efficacy of COVID-19 vaccines, racial justice, U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, and the nature of U.S. support to Ukraine, unquote. Well, gee, I wonder if that's why that... um. ABC TV reporter disappeared a few months back because he was working on a book about our disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan. And, of course, obviously, it's clear here, DHS wants to protect the ruling regime at all costs. Anyway, the report states the challenge is particularly acute in marginalized communities, which are often the targets of false or misleading information such as false information of voting procedures targeting people of color. Okay. The inclusion of the 2021 U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan is particularly noteworthy given that House Republicans, should they take the majority in the midterm elections, have vowed to investigate that very thing. U.S. Representative Mike Johnson, Republican of Louisiana, a member of the House Armed Services Committee, said this makes Benghazi look like a much smaller issue. He added that finding answers will be a top priority. Now, how disinformation is defined by the government has not been clearly articulated. (laughs) I'll bet not. And the inherently subjective nature of what constitutes disinformation provides a broad opening for DHS officials to make politically... Motivated determinations about what constitutes dangerous speech. DHS justifies these goals, which have expanded far beyond its original purview on foreign threats to encompass disinformation originating domestically. They justify all this by claiming that terrorist threats can be exacerbated by misinformation and disinformation spread online. But the laudable goal of protecting Americans from danger has often been used to conceal political maneuvering. Ain't that the truth? In 2004, for instance, DHS officials faced pressure from the George W. Bush administration to heighten the national threat level for terrorism in a bid to influence voters prior to the election, according to former DHS Secretary Tom Ridge. U.S. officials have routinely lied about an array of issues. From the causes of its wars in Vietnam and Iraq to their more recent obfuscation around the role of the National Institutes of Health in funding the Wuhan Institute of Virology's coronavirus research in China. Now I didn't I didn't expect to see, you know, a self described liberal admitting that, but but here it is. That track record has not prevented the US government from seeking to become arbiters of what constitutes false or dangerous information on inherently political topics. Earlier this year, Republican Governor Ron DeSantis signed a law known by supporters as the Stop Woke Act, which bans private employers from workplace trainings asserting an individual's moral character is privileged or oppressed based on his or her race, color, sex, or national origin. Critics charged that the law amounted to a broad suppression of speech deemed offensive. The Foundation for Individual Rights and in Expression, or FIRE, has since filed a lawsuit against DeSantis alleging unconstitutional censorship. A federal judge temporarily blocked parts of the Stop Woke Act, ruling that the law had violated workers' First Amendment rights. Why do they always say workers instead of employees? That just bugs the living daylights out of me. But I digress. In a colorful opinion castigating the law in Florida, Judge Mark Walker wrote, Florida's legislators may well find plaintiff's speech repugnant, but under our constitutional scheme, the remedy for repugnant speech is more speech, not enforced silence. So, the extent to which the Department of Homeland Security initiatives affect Americans' daily social feeds is unclear. During the 2020 election, the government flagged numerous posts as suspicious, many of which were then taken down, according to documents cited in the Republican Missouri Attorney General's lawsuit. And a 2021 report by the Election Integrity Partnership at Stanford University, found that of nearly 4,800 flagged items, technology platforms took action on 35% either removing, labeling, or soft-blocking speech, meaning the users were only able to view content after bypassing a warning screen. The research was done in consultation with CISA, which is the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Prior to the 2020 election, tech companies including Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, Discord, Wikipedia, Microsoft, LinkedIn, and Verizon Media met on a monthly basis with the FBI, CISA, and other government representatives. According to NBC News, The meetings are part of an initiative still ongoing between the private sector and government to discuss how firms would handle what they call misinformation during the election. Now, the stepped-up counter-disinformation effort began in 2018 following high-profile hacking incidents of U.S. firms when Congress passed and President Trump signed the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency Act forming a new wing of DHS devoted to protecting critical national infrastructure. Okay, that sounds like a good idea. An August 2022 report by the DHS Office of Inspector General sketches the rapidly accelerating move toward policing disinformation. From the outset, CISA boasted of what they called an evolved mission to monitor social media discussions while routing disinformation concerns to private sector platforms. In 2018, then-DHS Secretary Kirsten Nielsen created the Countering Foreign Influence Task Force to respond to election disinformation. The task force, which included members of CISA as well as its Office of Intelligence and Analysis, generated what they called threat intelligence about the election and notified social media platforms and law enforcement. At the same time, DHS began notifying social media companies about voting-related disinformation appearing on social platforms. In 2019, DHS created a separate entity called the Foreign Influence and Interference Branch to generate more detailed intelligence about disinformation, according to the Inspector General Report. That year its staff grew to include 15 full and part-time staff dedicated to disinformation analysis. In 2020, the disinformation focus expanded to include COVID-19 according to a Homeland Threat Assessment issued by then-acting DHS Secretary Chad Wolf. Now, this apparatus had a dry run during the 2020 election when CISA began working with other members of the U.S. intelligence community. Office of Intelligence and Analysis Personnel attended weekly teleconferences to coordinate intelligence community activities to counter what they called election-related disinformation. According to the Inspector General report, meetings have continued to take place every two weeks since the elections. Emails between DHS officials, Twitter, and and the Center for Internet Security outlined the process for such takedown requests during the period leading up to November 2020. Meeting notes show that the tech platforms will be called upon to process reports and provide timely responses to include the removal of reported misinformation from the platform where possible. In practice, this often meant State election officials sent examples of potential forms of disinformation to CISA, which would then forward them on to social media companies for a response. Under Joe Biden, the shifting focus on disinformation has continued. In January 2021, CISA replaced the Countering Foreign Influence Task Force with the misinformation, disinformation, and, and malinformation team, which was created to promote more flexibility to focus on general MDM. Misinformation, disinformation, malinformation. By now, the scope of the effort had expanded beyond disinformation produced by foreign governments to include domestic versions. So this MDM team, according to one CISA official, quoted in the Inspector General report, counters all types of disinformation to be responsive to current events. Jen Easterly, Biden's appointed director of CISA, swiftly made it clear that she would continue to shift resources in the agency to combat the spread of dangerous forms of information on social media. She spoke at a conference in November of 2021, and she said one could argue we're in the business of critical infrastructure and the most critical infrastructure is our cognitive infrastructure, so building that resilience to misinformation and disinformation, I think, is incredibly important. Now, CISA's domain has gradually expanded to encompass more subjects, it believes, amount to critical infrastructure. Last year, The Intercept reported on the existence of a series of DHS field intelligence reports warning of attacks on cell towers, which it has tied to conspiracy theorists who believe 5G towers spread COVID-19. One intelligence report pointed out that these conspiracy theories are inciting attacks against the communications infrastructure. CISA has defended its burgeoning social media monitoring authorities, stating that once CISA notified a social media platform with disinformation, the social media platform could independently decide whether to remove or modify the post. But as documents revealed by the Missouri lawsuit show, CISA's goal is to make platforms more responsive to their suggestions. In late February, Easterly texted with Matthew Masterson, representative of Microsoft, who formerly worked at CISA, that she is, quote, trying to get us in a place where Fed can work with platforms to better understand mis-slash-dis-trends so relevant agencies can try to pre-bunk-slash-debunk as useful, unquote. Meeting records of the CISA Cybersecurity Advisory Committee, the main subcommittee that handles disinformation policy at CISA, show a constant effort to expand the scope of the agency's tools to foil what they call disinformation. In June, the same DHS advisory committee of CISA, which includes Twitter head of legal policy, trust, and safety, Vijaya Gadi, and University of Washington professor, Kate Starbird, drafted a report to the CISA director calling for An expansive role for the agency in shaping what they call the information ecosystem. The report called on the agency to closely monitor social media platforms of all sizes, mainstream media, cable news, hyperpartisan media, talk radio, and other online resources. They argued that the agency needed to take steps to halt the spread of false and misleading information, so called with a focus on information that undermines key democratic institutions such as the courts or by other sectors such as the financial system or public health measures. To accomplish these broad goals, the report said, CISA should invest in external research to evaluate the efficacy of interventions, specifically with research looking at how alleged disinformation can be countered and how quickly messages spread. Jeff Hale, the director of the Election Security Initiative at CISA, recommended the use of third party information sharing nonprofits as what he called a clearinghouse for information to avoid the appearance of government propaganda. Okay, so they say last Thursday, which would have been October 27th, you know, four days before this article dropped. Immediately following billionaire Elon Musk's completed acquisition of Twitter, Ms. Gotti was terminated from the company. Well, that's good. Also, so was Kate Starbird. But anyway, that's a little bit of good news. So this is a remarkable article. And I've got more. I've got more to come, but I just want to say, Look, we got to give a shout-out to the folks that make it possible for us to continue doing the Doc Washburn Show day after day, now into our second year. And so thank you so much to our advertisers, including Mitch Ward over at Red River Your Way. Now, if you've tried to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage that you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy it online, and they will drive it to you no matter where you live in the continental United States. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website that puts you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry. Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button on it that says Explore Payment Options. Now, clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions that then create personalized payment options you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can figure out what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the Nationwide Car Dealer that believes in freedom. The dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live. RedRiverYourWay.com You will be glad you did. Alright, let me tell you real quick about Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative wireless carrier. Now more than ever, it's important to band together and support companies that share our conservative values. Patriot Mobile donates a portion of every dollar they earn to organizations that fight for causes that you care about. Patriot Mobile has exceptional nationwide coverage and uses the same towers that the main carriers use. Patriot Mobile has plans to fit any budget along with great discounts for our veteran and first responder heroes, as well as multi-line users. When you switch to Patriot Mobile, you're shifting your support from the leftist progressive agendas of Big Mobile over to the Christian conservative causes of Patriot Mobile. When you become a Patriot Mobile member, your dollars are helping to fund our God-given right to freedom. A portion of every dollar they earn is given back to the causes of That support organizations that fight for First Amendment religious freedom, freedom of speech, Second Amendment right to bear arms, sanctity of life, and the needs of our veterans and first responders. Switching to Patriot Mobile is easy. Just go to PatriotMobile.com or you can call their U.S.-based customer service team at 972-PATRIOT. Now make sure you use the promo code DOC, that's D-O-C, my name, for free activation. Now, if you are a conservative-owned business, tired of seeing your hard-earned dollars go to corporate woke agendas, you need to check out Patriot Mobile. They are now offering competitive business plans to suit companies of any size. So switch to Patriot Mobile Business. You can learn more at business.patriotmobile.com, or again, just call their 100% U.S.-based member services team. It's a different number To find out about their business service, it's 469 FREEDOM. But the same promo code. Be sure you use the promo code DOC, D-O-C, for free activation. That's business.patriotmobile.com or 469 FREEDOM for your business account at Patriot Mobile. Man, oh man, oh man. i got to get back to this article because, again, we are talking about something that should not be going on a direct threat to our freedom of speech by the Department of Homeland Security. And I'm thankful, I'm thankful that Lee Fong and Ken Klippenstein saw fit to do this article about this over the TheIntercept.com. I mean, I'm sharing it with you, my conservative audience. Um, on the other hand, liberals read The Intercept, so I, I hope they're concerned about it, but I don't know. Because like Lee Fong said, well, you know, liberals like freedom of speech uh, unless or until it's associated with the conservatives, all of a sudden they don't care about it anymore because they're people of the tribal. And you're just like, wow. Anyway, let me let me continue with this article. The, uh, by the way, uh, again, the article is entitled Truth Cops Leaked Documents and... Outline DHS's plans to police disinformation. Now, remember, a lot of this they're getting from the lawsuit brought by the conservative Republican attorney general of Missouri against the Biden regime. That's where they're getting a lot of this information. Okay, so the Biden administration, however, did take a stab at making part of this infrastructure public in April 2022 when they announced something called the Disinformation Governance Board. Now, the exact functions of the board and how it would accomplish its goal of defining and combating MDM, misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation, were never made clear. The board faced media backlash across a political spectrum. The media critic over at Politico, Jack Schaefer, wrote, Who among us thinks the government should add to its work list the job of determining what is true and what is disinformation? And who thinks a government is capable of telling the truth? Our government produces lies and disinformation at industrial scale and always has. It overclassifies vital information to block its own citizens from becoming any of the wiser. It pays thousands of press aides to play hide the salami with facts. Now, DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas alluded to broad scope of the agency's disinformation effort when he told the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee that the role of the board, which by that point had been downgraded to just what they call a working group, the role of the board is to, quote, actually develop guidelines, standards, guardrails to ensure that that the work that has been ongoing for nearly 10 years does not infringe on people's free speech rights, rights of privacy, civil rights, and civil liberties. It was quite disconcerting, frankly, that the disinformation work that was well underway for many years across different independent administrations was not guided by guardrails, unquote. Yeah. Right. Sure. But I digress. DHS eventually scrapped the Disinformation Governance Board in August, while free speech advocates cheered the dissolution of the board. Other government efforts to root out disinformation have not only continued, but expanded to encompass additional DHS sub-agencies like Customs and Border Protection, which determines whether information about the component spread through social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter is accurate. Other Well, yeah, they're going to say that the border is secure when it's wide open. So they're going to say you're spreading disinformation by saying the border is wide open. You see where this is going, right? But I digress. Other agencies such as Immigration and Customs Enforcement, the Science and Technology Directorate, whose responsibilities include determining whether social media accounts were bots or humans and how the mayhem caused by bots affects behavior and the secret service have also expanded their purview to include disinformation according to the inspector general report now the draft copy of DHS's 2022 quadrennial homeland security review reviewed by the intercept also confirms the DHS views the issue of tackling disinformation and misinformation as a growing portion of its core duties. While counterterrorism remains the first and most important mission of the department, it notes the agency's work on these missions is evolving and dynamic and must now adapt to terror threats exacerbated by misinformation and disinformation spread online including by domestic violent extremists. Don't you just love that. Domestic violent extremists. What does that even mean? You know? I mean, that is such a vague catch-all term. It can mean just about anybody or anything. Anyway, I, I, once again, I digress. The article continues. To accomplish this, the draft quadrennial review calls for DHS to, quote, leverage advanced data analytics technology and hire and train skilled specialists to better understand how threat actors use online platforms to introduce and spread toxic narratives intended to inspire or incite violence as well as work with NGOs, it's non-governmental organizations, and other parts of civil society to build resilience to the impacts of false information. The broad definition of what they call threat actors posing risks to vaguely defined critical infrastructure, an area as broad as trust in government, public health, elections, and financial markets, has concerned civil libertarians. Adam Goldstein, the vice president of research at the group called FIRE, says, no matter your political allegiances, all of us have good reason to be concerned about government efforts to pressure private social media platforms into reaching the government's preferred decisions about what content we can see online. He added, any governmental request to social media platforms to review or remove certain content should be made with extreme transparency. Amen, brother. DHS's expansion into misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation represents an important strategic retooling for the agency, which was founded in 2002 in response to the 9-11 attacks as a bulwark to coordinate intelligence and security operations across the government. At the same time, the FBI deployed thousands of agents to focus on counterterrorism efforts through building informant networks and intelligence, operations designed to prevent similar attacks. But traditional forms of terrorism posed by groups like al-Qaeda evolved with the rise of social media, with groups like ISIS using platforms such as Facebook to recruit and radicalize new members. After initial reluctance, social media giants began to work closely with the FBI and DHS to help monitor and remove Islamic State-affiliated accounts. FBI Director James Comey told the Senate Intelligence Committee that law enforcement agencies needed to rapidly adapt and confront the challenges posed by terror networks that had proven adept at tapping into social media. Intelligence agencies backed new startups designed to monitor the vast flow of information across social networks to better understand emerging narratives and risks. So in 2018, the Senate Homeland Security Committee warned, again quoting here, the Department of has not been fully reauthorized since its inception over 15 years ago. As the threat landscape continues to evolve, the Department adjusted its organization and activities to address emerging threats and protect the U.S. homeland. This evolution of the Department's duties and organization, including the structure and operations of the DHS headquarters, has never been codified in statute." Now, the subsequent military defeat of ISIS forces in Syria and Iraq, along with the withdrawal from Afghanistan, left the Homeland Security apparatus without a target. Meanwhile, a new threat entered the discourse the allegation that Russian agents had seeded disinformation on Facebook that tipped the 2016 election. Donald Trump, resulted in the FBI forming the Foreign Influence Task Force, a team devoted to preventing foreign meddling in American elections. Well, you know, I knew it was too good to be true. I knew it was too good to be true. They're not going to mention the fact that was all debunked. But again, they are liberals. What are you going to do? But, But they are saying that formed the foundation for the FBI to start doing some stuff they shouldn't have done. Now, we've read to you at length how crossfire hurricane, Russia collusion hoax, has been disproved thoroughly as a hoax, okay? But in the meantime, the FBI is still doing what they're doing based on that. But I digress. The article continues, according to the DHS meeting minutes from March, the FBI's Foreign Influence Task Force this year includes 80 individuals focused on curbing what they call subversive data utilized to drive a wedge between the populace and the government. I don't think that's any of your business. Dude, that's First Amendment. That's free speech, man. You know what I'm saying? DHS Acting Secretary Kevin McAleenan said in a September 29th strategic framework, again quoting here, The Department will spearhead initiatives to raise awareness of disinformation campaigns targeting communities in the United States, providing citizens the tools necessary to identify and halt the spread of information operations intended to promote radicalization to violent extremism or mobilization to violence. Now, DHS also began to broaden its watch to include a wide array of domestic actors viewed as potential sources of radicalization and upheaval. An FBI official interview by The Intercept described how, in the summer of 2020, amid the George Floyd protests, he was reassigned from his normal job of countering foreign intelligence services to monitoring American social media accounts. The official not authorized to speak publicly described the reassignment on condition of anonymity and a June, 2020 memo bearing the subject line actions to address the threat posed by domestic terrorists and other domestic extremists prepared by DHS headquarters for, for Tom Wolf, Trump's acting DHS secretary. No, that's Chad Wolf, sorry. Delineates plans to expand information sharing with the tech sector in order to identify disinformation campaigns used by domestic terrorism actors to incite violence against infrastructure, ethnic, racial, or religious groups or individuals. The memo outlines plans to work with private tech sector partners to share unclassified DHS intelligence on, de- on domestic terrorism actors and their tactics so that platforms can more effectively use their own tools to enforce user agreements slash Terms of Service and remove domestic terrorism content. Now, Biden also prioritized such efforts. Last year, the Biden administration released the first national strategy for countering domestic terrorism. The strategy identified what they called a broader priority, enhancing faith in government and addressing the extreme polarization fueled by a crisis of disinformation and misinformation, often channeled through social media platforms, which can tear Americans apart and lead some to violence. The strategy document continued, saying, we are working with like-minded governments, civil society, and the technology sector to address terrorist and violent extremist content online, including through innovative research collaborations. They added that the administration was addressing the crisis of disinformation and misinformation often channeled through social and other media platforms that can fuel extreme polarization and lead some individuals to violence. Now, last year, a top FBI counterterrorism official came under fire when she falsely denied to Congress that the FBI monitors Americans' social media and had therefore missed threats leading up to the attack on the U.S. Capitol January 6, 2021. In fact, the FBI had spent millions of dollars on social media tracking software like Babel X and Data Miner. According to the Bureau's official guidelines, authorized activities include proactively searching the Internet to find publicly accessible websites and services through which recruitment by terrorist organizations and promotion of terrorist crimes is openly taking place. Yeah, I wonder what The Intercept is going to do when they finally figure out that the FBI set up the whole January 6th thing at the Capitol, but I digress. Another FBI official, a Joint Terrorism Task Force officer, ascribed to The Intercept, being reassigned this year from the Bureau's International Terrorism Division, where they had primarily worked on cases involving Al-Qaeda and the Islamic State group, to the Domestic Terrorism Division to investigate Americans, including anti-government officials, such as racially motivated violent extremists, sovereign citizens, militias, and anarchists. They work on an undercover basis online to penetrate social networking, chat rooms, online forums, and blogs to detect, enter, dismantle, and disrupt existing and emerging terrorist organizations via online forums, chat rooms, bulletin boards, blogs, websites, and social networking, according to the FBI official who did not have permission to speak on the record. Yeah, I wonder if he said anything about setting people up and talking them into doing stuff they wouldn't have done otherwise. Can you say Gretchen Whitmer kidnapping hoax? But I digress. This is a fascinating article from The Intercept. And there's not much left of it. So that's also pretty cool. The Privacy Act of 1974 enacted following the Watergate scandal, restricts government data collection of Americans exercising their First Amendment rights. A safeguard that civil liberty groups have, have argued limits the ability of DHS and the FBI to engage in surveillance of American political speech expressed on social media. The statute, however, maintains exemptions for information collected for the purposes of a criminal or law enforcement investigation. Faisa Patel, senior director of the Brennan Center for Justice's Liberty and National Security Program, told The Intercept there are no specific legal constraints on the FBI's use of social media The Attorney General guidelines permit agents to look at social media before there is any investigation at all. So it's kind of a Wild West out there. The first FBI official, whom The Intercept interviewed in 2020 amid the George Floyd riots, lamented the drift toward warrantless monitoring of Americans, saying, man, I don't even know what's legal anymore. Well, it's not. Okay? In retrospect, the New York Post, reporting on the contents of Hunter Biden's laptop ahead of the 2020 election, provides an elucidating case study of how this works in an increasingly partisan environment. Much of the public ignored the reporting or assumed it was false as over 50 former intelligence officials charged That the laptop story was a creation of a so called Russian disinformation campaign. The mainstream media was primed by allegations of election interference in 2016. And to be sure, Trump Trump did attempt to use the laptop to disrupt the Biden campaign. Oh, you liberal. Oh, you liberal. Disrupt the. There's evidence of crimes on the laptop, you knucklehead. Including crimes by Joe Biden. Anyway, once again, I digress. They say Twitter ended up banning links to the New York Post report on the contents of the laptop during the crucial weeks leading up to the election. Facebook also throttled users' ability to view the story. Now, in recent months, a clearer picture of the government's influence has emerged. In an appearance on Joe Rogan's podcast in August of this year, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg revealed that Facebook had limited sharing of the New York Post's reporting on the Hunter Biden laptop after having had a conversation with the FBI. Remember that? Mark Zuckerberg told Joe Rogan, The background here is that the FBI came to us, some folks on our team, and was like, hey, just so you know, you should be on high alert that there was a lot of Russian propaganda in the 2016 election. Zuckerberg said the FBI told them that we have it on notice that basically there's about to be some kind of a dump. When the Post story came out in October 2020, Facebook thought it fit that pattern the FBI had told them to be on the lookout for. Zuckerberg said he regretted the decision, as did Jack Dorsey, CEO of Twitter at the time. Despite claims that the laptop's contents were forged, the Washington Post confirmed that at least some of the emails on the laptop were authentic. The New York Times authenticated emails from the laptop, many of which were cited in the original New York Post Reporting for October 2020, the prosecutors have examined as part of the Justice Department's probe into whether Biden's son violated the law on a range of issues, including money laundering, tax-related offenses, and foreign lobbying registration. Yeah, but see what they don't point out here, but they do have the links. The New York Times didn't authenticate the emails until March of 2022. And neither did the Washington Post. But I digress. Documents filed in federal court as part of a lawsuit by the attorneys general of Missouri and Louisiana add a layer of new detail to Zuckerberg's anecdote revealing that officials leading the push to expand the government's reach into disinformation also played a quiet role in shaping the decisions of social media giants around the New York Post story. According to records filed in federal court, two previously unnamed FBI agents, Elvis Chan, an FBI special agent in the San Francisco field office, and Ms. Dimlo, the section chief of the FBI's Foreign Influence Task Force, were involved in high-level communications that allegedly led to Facebook's suppression of the New York Post's reporting on Hunter Biden. Now, the Hunter Biden laptop story was only the most high-profile example of law enforcement agencies pressuring technology firms. In many cases, the Facebook and Twitter accounts flagged by DHS or its partners as dangerous forms of disinformation or potential foreign influence were clearly parody accounts or accounts with virtually no followers or influence. In May of this year, Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt took the lead in filing a lawsuit to combat what he views as sweeping efforts by the Biden administration to pressure social media companies to moderate certain forms of content appearing on their platforms. The suit alleges government-wide efforts to censor certain stories, especially ones related to the pandemic. It also names multiple agencies across the government that have participated in efforts to monitor speech and open collusion between the administration and social media companies. It identifies, for example, emails between officials from the National Institutes of Health, including Dr. Anthony Fauci and Zuckerberg, at the beginning of the pandemic and reveals ongoing discussions between senior Biden administration officials with executives of Facebook, or as they call it now, meta on developing content moderation policies on a range of issues, including issues related to elections and vaccines. Attorneys for the Biden administration have responded in court by claiming that the plaintiffs lack standing and the social media firms pursued content moderation policies on their own volition without any coercive influence from the government on October 21st, the judge presiding over the case granted the attorney's general permission to depose Fauci CISA officials and communication specialists from the white house. While the lawsuit has a definite partisan slant pointing the finger at the Biden administration for allegedly seeking to control private speech, many of the subpoenas request information that spans into the Trump era and provides a window into the absurdity of the ongoing effort. Jonathan Turley, a professor of law at George Washington University, who has written about the lawsuit, says, There's growing evidence that the legislative and executive branch officials are using social media companies to engage in censorship by surrogate. It is axiomatic that the government cannot do indirectly what it is prohibited from doing directly. If government officials are directing or facilitating such censorship, it raises serious First Amendment questions. During the 2020 election, the Department of Homeland Security in an email to an official at Twitter forwarded information about a potential threat to critical U.S. infrastructure citing FBI warnings in this case, about an account that could imperil election system integrity. The Twitter user in question had only 56 followers, along with a bio that read, DM us your weed store locations, hoes be mad, but this is a parody account. Under a banner image of Blucifer, the 32-foot-tall demonic horse sculpture featured at the entrance of the Denver International Airport. A state official on the email thread, forwarding on other examples of accounts that could be confused with official government entities, said, We're not sure if there's any action that can be taken, but we wanted to flag them for consideration. The Twitter representative responded, We will escalate, thank you. Each email in the chain carried a disclaimer that the agency neither has nor seeks the ability to remove or edit what information is made available on social media platforms. That tagline, however, concerns free speech advocates who note that the agency is attempting to make an end run around the First Amendment by exerting continual pressure on private sector social media firms. Adam Kandube, a professor of law at Michigan State University, said, when the government suggests things, it's not too hard to pull off the velvet glove and you get the male fist. And I would consider such actions, especially when it's bureaucratized, as essentially state action and government collusion with the platforms. Nadine Strawson former president of the ACLU, you know, American Civil Liberties Union, says, if a foreign authoritarian government sent these messages, there's no doubt we would call that censorship. This is just remarkable, isn't it? Just remarkable. That this is, by and large, an even-handed account at the federal government through Department of Homeland Security and the FBI trying to censor us on social media. The article is over at theintercept.com. The it's entitled Truth Cops, Leaked Documents Outline DHS's Plans to Police Disinformation by Ken Klippenstein and Lee Fong. And I highly... Recommend it to you. And again, if Republicans take either or both houses of Congress back, and as I speak, late on Tuesday night, I don't know. This is something they need to look into and try to dismantle and try to defund. Know what I'm saying? Now again, i got to thank our advertisers for making it possible for us to do this kind of thing. On a daily basis, they realize how unique what we do here on the Doc Washman Show is. So let me ask you are, you, are you having problems with sinuses and allergies? Are you experiencing dizziness, vertigo, migraines, psoriasis, problems with your blood sugar even? Well, the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center might be able to help you. Let me tell you how. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs two ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain. When that happens, your central nervous system isn't able to communicate with the rest of your body as it's designed to do. Now, I had severe hay fever for five or six weeks every spring all my life. I had bad migraines too. When I got my Atlas adjusted, the hay fever went away, never came back. The migraines went away, never came back. Again, if you're suffering from sinus conditions, allergies, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar, migraines, even psoriasis, do yourself a favor. Call my friends at the Arkansas Cervical Center, 501-279-2009 for a free consultation. They have helped me, my wife. They've helped so many people that we know. Please call them to see if they can help you. That number again, for your free consultation, 501-279-2009. Or just go to their website, TurnMyPowerOn.com. Now, if you're outside Central Arkansas, you want to go to that website, TurnMyPowerOn.com, and click on the tab that says, Find a doctor, and I sure hope that you can. Thank you so much to our friends, Dr. J.R. Crabtree and his wife, Dr. Tanya Crabtree. They are our friends, our advertisers, and our doctors at TurnMyPowerOn.com. Appreciate y'all. All right, now, let me mention a few of the other scandals you may not be aware of that Republicans need to do something about. If they are able to take over one or both houses of Congress. Over the postmillennial.com, the article is entitled Children's Minnesota Gender Clinic Treats Preverbal Toddlers for Gender Dysphoria. Okay, that is child abuse. And you got to do something about it. And, you know, I'm sorry that the Minnesota State Legislature hasn't been able to do something about it but well, that is child abuse writ large and you got to do something about it okay also the exclusive new new article in the uk daily mail joe was centered on the returns in the family coffers whistleblower claims hunter and then vp biden were part of a group call to discuss online gambling venture in latin america Biden, the then vice president, talking like he was chairman of the board. Whistleblowers come forward to claim they have direct knowledge of Joe Biden's involvement in son Hunter's foreign business deals while serving as VP. The informant says they are on a 2012 conference call involving Joe Hunter, his business partner, Jeff Cooper, the late Senator Harry Reid, and his son, Key Reid. The call is about Hunter, Harry Reid's son, Key and Jeff Cooper's new venture into online gambling in Latin America, and the source said that Joe Biden was active on the call. The whistleblower claims Joe discussed details of the business and appeared to be involved as a silent partner. The whistleblower said, With the direct observations I had, it's obvious Joe was participating in the business. He wasn't passive. He was talking about it. If I had to describe him, he was like a member of the board of directors. The whistleblower has identified him or herself, to Senate investigators, but asked to remain anonymous for fear of reprisal. Of course. Biden business partner Jeff Cooper claims the whole thing is a complete fabrication. Well, he would, wouldn't he? Again, something Republicans need to look into. If they take either or both houses of Congress, also, U.K. Daily Mail says Tony Bobulinski, remember the guy that came forward, went public right before the 2020 election on the Tucker Carlson Show, former Biden business partner? He has shared more documents with Congress. Y'all, they need to do something about it. And what about DOJ sending observers to polling places? Well, thank God Ron DeSantis is, and the Secretary of State of Florida sent a letter to the DOJ saying we're not going to allow this. No, 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 no. No, Department of Justice monitors are not permitted under Florida law, and they cite the section of Florida statute to enter any polling room or polling place. So Ron DeSantis And the general counsel for the Florida Department of State, Brad McVeigh, told Merrick Garland and his goon squad to uh, take a long walk off a short pier. Hopefully into the Atlantic, not not the Gulf. No, 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 if you know, you know. Seven Democrat U.S. representatives have joined Republicans promising to investigate the lab leak theory really, will wonders never cease. So again, that's uh, something Republicans need to look into if they take one or both houses of Congress. Jeff Carlson over the epictimes.com New report highlights corruption at DOJ that began with Obama. The House Judiciary Minority on November 4th released a new report entitled FBI Whistleblowers, colon, what their disclosures indicate about the politicization of the FBI and, and Justice Department, detailing a rampant culture of unaccountability, manipulation, and abuse at the highest level. And the report details many of the issues that the Epic Times has reported on over the years. As House Judiciary notes, The 1,000-page report builds on various whistleblower disclosures describing the FBI's Washington hierarchy as rotted at its core with a systemic culture of unaccountability. And we'll get into more of that on a future episode of the Doc Washburn Show. But again, 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 that's something that Republicans must investigate they take over either or both houses of Congress. All right, looks like it's about that time. Hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Don Washburn Show, Tweet of the day. Brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com, Red River, your Way, Big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom, to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online, have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental United States of America. Okay, today's tweet of the day is one of those two-parters, and it follows up on a story I was referring to a few minutes ago. The Washington Post says the DeSantis administration is attempting to block Department of Justice election monitors from gaining access to polling places in South Florida saying that the federal government's involvement would be counterproductive and in violation of state law. Well, that was the shot. Here's the chaser. The great Jeremy Redfern, deputy press secretary of Governor Ron DeSantis, said, there was no attempting to block DOJ. They were not allowed into polling locations. Booyah! That's the way I like it, brother. That's fantastic. I just had to follow him for that. Again, thank you so much to uh, Mitch Ward and our friends at Red River Your Way for sponsoring today's Tweet of the Day. You've been listening to Episode 277 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messi. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, seventh floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier X. And that's the way it is, Tuesday, November eighth, 2022.